If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10. We started a, a series last week, and it's a short series. It'll be done next week or the, the week after. I'm trying to decide if we should add one to kind of bring it all together. Um, but the question is, is, who is this, or the series is, who is a disciple? And that's the whole point of the series that we're in. And so last week, we asked four questions. Who is God? What has God done? Who are we and what do we do? And so we were rooting everything about who we are into the identity of God. And so that's what we are, are going to do again today. So again, a quick reminder. Last week, we saw that God is Father and He is love. We, saw, we asked, what did He do? We saw that He has sent His Son uh, to be a propitious offering, meaning, meaning that He removes our our, removes the wrath of God, removes our sin. And uh, we said, who are we? We saw it because Jesus is the Son of God. He came as the Son to make us sons. We saw that we are family. And we said, well, what does family do? We love one another like family. Hey, Phil, can you turn me down in the monitors? I feel like I really hear myself a lot. <laughs> um, and so today we're going to do the same thing because as a disciple, we are family, part of the family of God. But that's not all that we are. There's many other things that we're going to see too. And today we're going to see how we are servants also. And at the end of the message, what we're going to do is what we did last week is uh, we're going to try to answer some questions. Uh, so if you have any questions, feel free to text them to that number. Uh, and next week, we're going to try to have that in the bulletin, but that was my fault. I forgot to put that in the bulletin, so you would just have that in front of you. We'll have it up again later. But if you have a, if you have a question, we want to try to answer them. We just, we're not going to be able to answer everything, and I might not even be able to answer whatever question you do have. Uh, but we just want to give, especially during this time, just a little bit of time for feedback and, and try to, so as we leave here today, hopefully we have a better understanding, a little more clear picture of what it looks like to live as the children of God. And so I'm going to uh, go ahead and pray, and then we're going to stand, and we're going to read God's Word. Our Father, we come to you today, and I just think of what, what Paul said in Romans as he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And God, that, that's what I want us to do. That's what I pray that we do. Help us to do that. Move your Spirit in us that we hear we just offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. God, help us to do that. Your Spirit has been given to us. He dwells within us. And I just pray that as we learn more about you, that we, we understand who you are through your word and how you live in us and who we are because of you. That God, we would be conformed to your image. We'd be transformed and to the Son of God, we would not be conformed to this world, to you. And Lord, we love you. And I pray that as we go through the message today and we see, we see how you came to love us, to serve us, that God, we would understand how we are to serve one another also. Be with us today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask that you go ahead and stand as we read Mark chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 35, and we're going to read through verse 45. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit at your right hand and one, on your, one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to him, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink, that I, drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them, called them to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones ex exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." 
You all may be seated. So we're going to focus especially on verses 42 through 45. We're just going to state the first thing that we see is citizens of the kingdom of the world exercise their rule through acts of power. What we have is, is two people, James and John, they're coming to him. We want to sit at your right and left hand. And, and Jesus talks to them about this. And, and the other ten hear about this and they're upset because if they're sitting at his right, hand, right and left, that means they're not sitting at his right and left. And, and so they're just all upset. So Jesus uses this as his teaching moment. And he then tells them, about those in the world and how they rule and how they live, and then how do those of the kingdom of God, how do they live? And so we see citizens of the kingdom of the world exercise their rule through acts of power. Jesus uses the words um, that those in the Gentiles, they lord it over them and they exercise authority. Both those words refer to overpowering and domineering. And when looking at the world, we often see those that are great, those with great power, those in positions of authority. We see that often they fight their way to the top. They will cheat, backstab, and do whatever it takes to be first. Um, they want to be honored by others. That's something built into our sinful nature. We want others to look up to us. We want others to respect us. We want to be first. If we look at sports, we see athletes who have cheated by using some type of illegal drugs, uh, like Olympic track star Marion Jones, baseball player Barry Bonds, Canadian Olympic sprinter Ben Johnson. I mean, we could just do a list of athletes who want to be great, and they will go to whatever extreme it is to be great. In the business world, there are companies like Enron who have cheated and lied and done whatever they could to make millions of dollars. In the government, we see dictators like Kim Jong, who killed millions in Korea. Ho Chi Minh, the president of Vietnam, who killed thousands. We have Mao Zedong, Adolf Hitler. And we just do a list of dictators all the way throughout history of those who have suppressed other people, who have suppressed entire people groups, who have killed entire people groups, all so that they would be great, all so that they would be honored, so they would be revered, so people would look up to them. It doesn't take much of a stretch to see this. In whatever field you're in, there's competition. Even at stay-at-home moms, there's competition between other stay-at-home moms. I mean, you know it's like that in this world. Jesus says in verse 43... It shall not be so among you. So he says, this is the way the world looks. And so now I'm looking at the disciples, as Jesus is, and he says, that's not the way you act. That's not, the what, that's not what happens here. They shall not pursue greatness the same way the world does. So how are we as disciples to live and citizens of the kingdom of God exercise their rule through acts of service? We are to be characterized by acts of service. Jesus says, whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be a slave. What he does, he turns greatness upside down, doesn't he? I mean, he just totally flips it. The world says you're great if people serve you. But I flip that around. Those who are great are the ones who serve. So we see that we are servants. And the word servant, it's used uh, in the New Testament as, the, um, as, the, uh, as a word for the office of deacon in the New Testament. So in the New Testament church, there's, a, there's a, um, a role called deacon, and their name is to serve. So you can just guess what they do. They're called to serve. And in, the, in Acts 6, we see that they, they serve, they wait on tables. The actual word means running through, dust, running through dust. It's just a word that says you're a servant. You just serve other people. He also says we are slaves. The word slaves refers to a permanent position of servitude. There's no glamour associated here. There's no glamour associated with being a servant. It basically means that you are not your own. You've been bought by someone. You're owned by someone. And you serve them. So this is how Jesus describes the church. Describes those who follow him. And now notice. These words are not verbs. They are nouns. Jesus did not say, if you want to be great, you should serve other people. He said, you are a servant and you are a slave. Last week in the book of John, in 1 John, we saw that because of what Jesus has done, we've been given a new identity. Remember that we become a part of the family of God. We are children of God. We once were children of wrath, but because Jesus came 
at the cross, and by faith in him, we become children of God. We have a new identity. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When you come to me as a disciple, when you come to me in faith, when you follow me, you're a servant. That's what it is to be in the kingdom of God. Now, this, this is important. We receive a new identity. We become servants. Jesus is not saying you just certainly you just certain act you just act in a certain way. You just behave different now. That's not what he's saying. He is describing a reality in the kingdom of God. He's not just saying you guys just need to serve better. You guys just need to do a good job and, and look out for those who have needs every once in a while. He's like, this is a reality of the kingdom of God. Those who are in the kingdom of God, those who are children of the family of God, are servants. At this moment, someone could easily object and say, well, hold on. I don't know if I want to be someone's servant. I mean, if that's what really following Jesus is, I don't know if I really want to do that. Why, why, why would Jesus have us be servants? And that's what takes us to verse 45. And your translation most likely starts out with the word for. There's a massive word right there that you cannot miss. Says, Jesus is now going to give the basis for why he says his disciples are to be servants. And he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just as the reason my disciples are servants are because I, the Son of God, came as a servant to serve. So that's why. It's because Jesus came to serve. Now you may say, well, how did Jesus come and serve? What did he do? Ultimately, he comes and serves by dying on the cross and giving his life as a ransom for many. The word ransom refers to the bride, refers to the church, refers to those who have faith in him. So who do we need to be ransomed from? Some people say, well, we need to be ransomed from Satan, so we're not in hell forever with him. But that's not what the Bible says. Satan has no authority to throw you in hell. He has no authority to throw you in hell. Who does have authority to throw you in hell? God. Why? Because his wrath is against you if you have not received his son. Because what we see in Romans 1 says he's revealed his righteousness. He's revealed himself in, uh, in all of creation. But the world has rejected him, has rebelled against him. Therefore, his wrath is against all of mankind. And there's nothing you or I can do to get out from underneath his wrath. And even if we go to hell for a million years, we will not pay off the, the price that we owe to him to get out of hell, which is why we need to be ransomed. And so that's why God sends his son, who willingly comes to the cross to die, that we would be ransomed, that he would absorb. Remember what we looked at last week? Jesus became the propitious offering. That he absorbed the wrath of God. He took our sins away so we could become children of God. We become servants of God. We are ransomed from God, for God, and by God. We're not ransomed from Satan. We're ransomed from God, for God, and it's all by God. It's characteristic in who he is that he's come to serve. So go ahead, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 53. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 53. It's it's incredibly important that we understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came as a servant. In In the first century... There was a lot of expectations people had on the Messiah. And they completely missed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, because they were not expecting a Messiah to come that would serve. They wanted one that would come that would conquer their enemies, vindicate Israel, restore Israel to its rightful place, um, fulfill the promises of being the Davidic king, and rule in power and glory. They wanted the king. They wanted the one who was all-powerful who would come with a sword and strike down the enemies. And Christ says, well, I mean, that, that does happen, but it happens in a totally different way than you think. And he comes serving. 
And so I'm going to read Isaiah 53, and the entire chapter is about the Son of God coming to serve. And it, it's, it's a suffering servant chapter. And afterwards, we're going to look at six ways on how Jesus came as a servant. So just as we go through here, everything here is pertaining to Jesus. Starting in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. This is Jesus we're reading about. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from, from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was crushed for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and, shall be, and, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes, the intercession, makes intercession for the transgressors. So we're just, we're just going to spend a few moments on this, but I encourage you, go back over this, this chapter and just read it. And, and just read and just pray. Every time you read, just God, give me more wisdom. Help me to understand what you're saying. Six ways, at least, we see how Jesus came as a servant. In verse 2, Jesus served us by becoming like us. And we're told he, he had no beauty. He wasn't anything special to look at. And on the scale of 1 to 10 of good looks, he was probably a little bit low. That, that's, that's what we read. Verse 3, Jesus served us by suffering like us. He was despised and rejected by men. He knew grief. He was not esteemed. Number three, in verse four, Jesus served us by bearing our pains. You get that? Like he came to take our pains. He carried our sorrows. That's what he came to do. Number four, in verse five, Jesus suffered, just served us by suffering for our sins. Let's look at that. He was Wounded for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. He was crushed for whose iniquities? Our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, who's healed? We are. But he served us by suffering for our sins. He had no sin. Now, just get this. So before this, before he comes and fulfills this role... He's in heaven. Angels, just like circling around him. Bowing down before him, prostrate before him, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's in perfect splendor. He is glorified and magnified and worshipped by all creation that surrounds him. And he leaves that. And he comes born like you and me, 
that he should suffer for our sins, that he should go through pain because of us, it's all because he loves us. That he comes to take our, like he's perfect, like he's, in, he's experiencing just perfection up in heaven, but he leaves that. He takes all of that off. He says, I love them, and I will come, and I will bear their pains, their sorrows, and their sins. In verse 7, number 5, we see Jesus served us by willingly becoming our substitute. He didn't complain. He didn't lash out. Rather, we're told, like a lamb going to slaughter, he went to the cross. Look, the father didn't throw the son to the earth and say, you need to go down there and do this. And he's like, oh, man, i got to obey the father. That's not the way it went. And he didn't come sneaking down here going, man, if I save these people, then the father can't be wrathful anymore. He's got to love them. Like, this is a full Trinitarian redemptive plan. The father sent the son. The son willingly comes. And the spirit empowers the son that he would come to the cross that we would be saved. This isn't just one person acting here. This is the full Trinity. The Godhead acting for our salvation. And He willingly came for you and for me to be a substitute. Number six, in verse 11, Jesus served us by making us righteous. And this is where, this most likely is the very text that is in Jesus' mind as He does verse 45 in Mark. He came... um, Son came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what we hear in verse 11, by his knowledge, should the, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous? This most likely is, is what Jesus is thinking about. By his, and we see, like verse 5, we're told that chast, his chastisement brings us peace, his stripes bring us healing. It's here, it's at the cross. That he makes us righteous for all who believe in him. He makes us righteous. That the many, the bride, the church, all who believe in him, his disciples, the children of God, will be made righteous. It's on this basis when Jesus says, it shall not be like this among you, but you shall be servants. And so this is why. I mean, Jesus isn't just sitting from, like, the, the leather recliner saying, you guys should go serve. But he left the throne room to come to earth to serve as a servant that we would serve as servants. So let me, let me remind us again last week what we did because we're about to do the same thing. We asked four questions. Who was God? What has he done? Uh, who are we? What do we do? And we saw God is the Father and he is love. And we saw in love he sent the Son to be a propitious offering. That's what he did. And then we see that we become children of God. And because we're children of God, we love others like the family of God. We saw that. Um, so today, who is God? Well, Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. What has the Father done through the Son? What has the Father done through Jesus? Well, He sent His Son as a servant that you and I would be ransomed. So who are we? Well, we are servants. By believing in Jesus, we've been made new. We've been given the Spirit of Christ. And just as we were given a new identity, that we'd become children of God Now we are also servants. We are a family of servants. Remember last week, the truth, what God has done to us, He wants to do through us. I just love that. What God has done to us, He wants to do through us. When you start getting that in your mind, and you start seeing that, you start seeing that in Scripture. It was cool. I was talking to Phil, and I remember what it was, but he was like, man, I saw that in like this other place. We received mercy that we would give mercy. And, and it was just, it was, it was neat. You start seeing that truth lived out. What God has done to us, he wants to live through it. He wants to do through us. So God has served us through his son. So now through us, making us servants, what does he want to do through us? He wants us to serve. So what do we do? We serve others. 
We do not serve so God saves us. Hear that. We do not serve so God saves us. We do not serve so God saves us. We serve because we are saved. We serve because the Spirit of Christ lives in us, producing the character of Christ within us, that Christ lives through us, and as Christ came to serve, He now serves through us. Think of it like this. This might help. If you take a sponge, and you place it in water, like a bucket of water, and you pull out the sponge, what does it do? It just drips forth water. I mean, it just, just drips forth, and you squeeze it, even more comes out. If, we're, if we as believers have been immersed in the Spirit, literally we're told the Spirit dwells within us. If we've been immersed in the Spirit, and the Spirit's dwelling in us, what do we do? Well, the Spirit is, is the Spirit of Christ. Therefore, the character of Christ flows from us. Just think. Just think about putting that sponge in the bucket and pulling it out. It just drips all down. And think, that's, that's just what happens with us regularly. We're filled with the Spirit. We're just filled in the Spirit of, and the character of Christ is just, just flowing from us. That's the way that we are to live our lives. We serve because the Spirit is making us more and more into the image of Jesus. We've been made servants, filled with the Spirit of Jesus, that now Jesus lives through us, that we would serve. Perfect. We're done now. <laughs> Almost. Before Jesus, we operated like the world does. And the only way to be number one is to fight was to cheat, do whatever it takes. And we define number one as others looking up at us. We define number one as, as others serving us. We define number one as some type of status at work, somewhere on the totem pole, having so many things, whatever it is. But now, because of Christ, he's flipped it all around. No longer is greatness being served. And we don't have to be consumed with being number one. Rather, he's made us to be servants. Therefore, what we understand is because of Jesus, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been made a co-heir with Jesus. Do you realize that? Not a sub-heir of Jesus. A co-heir of all things with Jesus. And God promises to forever lavish his grace upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. Like, God has completely satisfied us in Jesus. What do we need to pursue in the world? And just think about that. He has given us eternal life and infinite joy. Eternal life. Yes, I realize in, in earth, on earth right now, we still go through pain and suffering. and It's hard, and sometimes we don't necessarily feel like we have infinite joy. I get that. Sometimes waking up in the morning, we don't have infinite joy. It's true, but God is working in us, making us more into his image, promising that one day he's going to return and complete the work he began in us, that we will experience on a regular, every moment of every day basis, infinite joy in Christ. What do we need to pursue in this world? We have Jesus. We've been satisfied completely and fully in every single way. Why would I fight to be number one in something? It's not that we shouldn't strive to be great in our business or, or wherever we're at. But no longer do I go about it the way the world does. But now I go about it through service. So who do we serve? Well, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. This is Paul writing. He says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. And we can read a bunch of other scriptures, but we are to serve believers and unbelievers. We are to serve those in the family and those not in the family. We treat everyone like family and we serve everyone like family. But notice, Paul does say, especially those of the household of faith. So I'll just spend a moment on this. The way the church serves those within the church. The way family serves 
family is to be radical. It is to be going to the extremes at all times. Because as we do that, as we serve one another, we display the love of Jesus to the world. Our service makes God's love tangible. So as we love one another, we're making tangible the love of God. And we are to especially do acts of service within the church. Especially that the world would look at the church and just be in awe of how the church operates. Is the church in awe of TBC? That's a good question to think about. How am I living as a part of this church, as a part of the church, that the world is just sitting there going, I I don't understand how they do this. They just love one another. They serve one another. They meet needs all the time. But not only that, but we also meet the needs of those outside the church. Imagine what this would look like. Just imagine. Imagine churches understanding their identity as servants and living that out. Here's at least three things it would look like. The church would live like family. We would not be able to say things like, I don't really want to trouble others with this, or that's really their business, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, we'll just let them do their thing. But we couldn't say that because we're family. So we would get involved in each other's lives. We would know the needs of each other. We would tell each other our needs. This is what it looks like in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the description of the early church. And it's the most beautiful picture we have of church. In Acts 4, what we see is the church, they're sharing everything that they have. They're willingly giving up money and possessions to help others. And in Acts 4.34, it says this. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had, as had need. Now, so, so putting that here, what if we lived in such a way there was no needs here because we kept meeting all those needs because as needs came up, we met those needs. That'd be pretty amazing, huh? Some of you are going like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, who does that? Well, the family of God does that. That's the description we have of the family of God. That we would love one another. That we would literally sell things that we have to meet the needs of others. This is one way we do this right now is through tithing. Through our giving is one way, yes, we, we pay for lights and, and things like that also, but it's a way to, to meet the needs of others. It's a way to, to help missionaries be equipped that they would go to other parts of the world. It's to help ministries here to be able to function, that we could continually proclaim the gospel in many different ways. On, the fifth, on the, those months that have five Sundays, we do an extra offering, a benevolence offering, and that money is strictly designated just to come in and go right back out to wherever there's needs, in the church or outside the church. That's the whole purpose of it. And it'd be great. What if, what if one day we had benevolence offerings every single week? Because we, just, we, we want to give so much. We said, look, we, we need more time. We, we need to give more. I mean, have you ever had a church complaining that they didn't have enough, time to, or enough opportunities to give more? No one's like, man, we give so much. Or, man, every week we have to, like, give. Or the fifth Sunday, you know, four times a year. What if we as the church, we just want to give? We don't even wait for offering times. We just come in with checks. We come in with things that we have sold because we're meeting the needs of those within the church. Why? Because we're servants. And we meet the needs of those outside the church the same way. Another way, the church would be others-focused. We would not be consumed with our needs and problems, but rather we'd continually be asking, how can I help others? There's a, a problem that begins to exist when we start thinking about our needs the whole time. Have you ever noticed that? You become totally blind to other people's needs. You become totally blind to other people's needs. And, and your needs grow. You ever notice that? Whatever it is, it just it grows and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until sometimes you're like, I don't even know if God's resources can meet this need. Like we feel like that at times. 
But if we're a family of servants meeting one another's needs, I'm a little bit more concerned about your needs than mine. I still have real needs, but because we're living out our identity as servants, I know that as God uses me and my resources to help meet needs of others, God's going to use other people to meet the needs of or meet the meet the needs that I have also. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Another way it would look, the church would be proactive in serving. We would literally place ourselves in areas we can serve. So just just think that through for a moment. We would place ourselves in areas to serve, which would mean if we live this out, so just hold the seat. And once you're falling out, we would never have to ask anyone to be in the nursery. Stop, stop, please. We've got too many people in the nursery. The nursery list is like crazy off the hook because you guys all want to be in there to serve. You guys laugh like, that would never happen. Well, it would if we live out our identity. You see, when we ask for people to serve in the nursery, we're asking people to live out who they are in Christ. See the difference? I'm not just saying go serve because we have a need. We are created as servants, and this is the way we live out that need. For the usher greeter ministry, we're having a meeting next week. Everybody should be here. Why? Because how do we serve? How could, I'm a servant. How, how, how would I be a part of that? And those are just a couple ways that we would do that in the church. Think about how we would do that outside. We'd go in the community and we'd say, where in the community is their needs? So right now, I have a guy across the street from me. Bless his heart. I don't know how many times he's had fence problems. Like, I just see his fence always down. And, and now I see he's got, like, big posts, like, wedged in the ground, holding up the fence. It's, like, right out my front door. So today, after church, I'm going over to his house. Can I help put up your fence? And I'm probably going to call some of you. <laughs> this is your warning. I mean, your opportunity. <laughs> Careful with words there. But so I see him. Now, it's not because, like, I am some amazing Christian. I'm going, well, I'll just go put up my neighbor's fence. We've been called to serve. How, how do I meet this need? Or, or what other needs are there? So yesterday, we had women meeting here to do the White Cross. It's amazing. They're coming as servants to meet needs. We have men that gather once a month to go walk up and down Mullen to pick up trash. Why? Because they're servants. We have people in the church that make pies for other people in the church just to say that they love them. We have people today who are opening up their homes so that we can come over there and abuse their homes and watch a football game. The whole point, that's a lot of family taking place, but the whole point is to serve. How do we serve one another? How do we meet needs? And those are just a couple ways. Let me give one more example from God's Word. Many of you know the example of the Good Samaritan. You know that example? You know the Good Samaritan? Um, There's a guy that comes up to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds by ask, ask, answering the question with a question. I always love that. He said, and so Jesus responds by saying, Well, what's written in the law? And the man says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and, and love your neighbor as your, um, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, Great, go do this and live. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the man then asks another question. And we're told he asked this question to justify himself. So we see that his motive is not like, I just want to glorify God here. It's, hold on. Uh, And he says, who is my neighbor? He's asking, who do I love? Who am I supposed to be a good neighbor to? He says, who do I serve? I want you to create boundaries for me, Jesus. A pretty box with a bow on it so I know who to serve. And in that box, I will serve those type of people. But that's not what Jesus does. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 10. And we'll read Luke 10, verse starting in verse 30. Luke 10, 30. Jesus replied. So this is is the context the Good Samaritan comes. The guy says, who's my neighbor? I want a box to love my neighbor in. So Jesus responds. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed him by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus now answers, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So, priest and Levite, holy people, see their fellow brother Jew beaten and obviously in need. And they go to the other side of the road. They do everything they can to avoid him. A Samaritan. Now, you probably know if you've been in church for any length of time, but you may not. Samaritans and Jews hate each other. An immense amount of racial animosity between these two groups. Literally hate one another. James and John are called the sons of thunder because they're like, God, we could throw some lightning down on Samaria and burn them up. There is no love between Jews and Samaritans. So God's, Jesus here is, is making the Samaritan the hero here. This is weird. They're going to be reading this first century going, mm, like, there's no way. Like, that's not happening. The Samaritan takes the man. He helps him. He pours oil on him, takes him to the hospital, gives money, says, whatever else you spend, I'll take care of. He's just lavishing upon love on this guy. Whatever needs he has, I will do. So Jesus asks the question, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Well, that's weird, because that's not the question the man had. The man said, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, who was a neighbor? The man wanted to know, who am I supposed to love? He wanted to know the boundaries of his love and service. Jesus says, who was the neighbor? The man answers the one who showed mercy. Jesus' point is go and do likewise. The point of the parable is not for us to decide who we will serve, as if I only serve this side of the room, or the front three rows of this room, or I only serve the odd number houses on my road. But it's, where is there a need? Go and be a neighbor. It's not to limit. We are to be the neighbor. We are to be the ones who are meeting the needs around us. Why? Because we're servants. Why? Because Jesus came as a servant, and his spirit lives in us, that we would serve others. The whole point is that the family of God, the kingdom of God, is characterized by service. The two objections. How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to meet the needs around me? There's too many. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I can't do it. Yep, you can't. So remember, you're part of a much larger family. You're part of a larger family, and when we come together, we can meet more needs. Now, we can't meet all the needs. We're not going to end world hunger. We can't. We can make a dent, and we can do a lot here in Thurston County as the church, and as our church joins with other churches. We could make even, we could be a bigger light and meet more needs. So we have to remember, we can't do this alone. You're going to be by yourself a lot and you're going to do things, but we're not called to do it alone. We're called to do it with the church. And let me say, this is where small groups are incredibly important, and this is an area that we're weak in here. We don't have a lot of small groups. In fact, I think technically right at this moment, we have two functioning small groups. That's a problem I hope to have rectified. So here's one another plug. Come to our everyday church gatherings on uh, starting February 12th, because this is what we're talking about. How do, how do we live out as the body of Christ? So come to that. Get the book, Everyday Church. That's my plug there. Um, but we need small groups because it's when our lives are regularly intersecting with the lives of other Christians. For one, we can meet the needs within that group. And two, we will be able to collectively meet areas that are around us. 
And when there's bigger needs, this small group gathers with this small group to meet the bigger need. When there's bigger needs, you just see it multiplies. We get more groups to meet the needs. Because we're family and that's what we do. So you can pray for small groups. You can pray that we grow in that ministry. Second objective or objection, what if I get taken advantage of? Because if we're serious about serving, you're probably going to get robbed. You might get stuff stolen from you. You might have people that try to take advantage of your time a lot. Um, and, and if we really get serious, we start going to places where you just shouldn't be. If the world says, you know, we're safe, you might get, you might get killed. It, it could happen. I mean, I, I want to just like leave, have you leave here. Oh, we can be rosy servants and it's just all happy. Like, it get tough. But let me just remind you, Jesus came was abused, beaten, crushed, and killed so that he would make us righteous. He served us to the point of death. And his spirit is in us that we would serve. So his, ser- his spirit's not scared of the things in this world. So his spirit is in us, strengthening us that we would serve, even when it's really hard. And when we come together as the body, we encourage one another in those really difficult times also. We might be walked over. We might be trampled. We might be abused. But we are not alone. We have the Spirit in us, and He's in all of us, and we come together as the body. Um, This last week, I was driving home on Tuesday from a pastor's retreat over at Black Lake Bible Camp. And uh, I'm getting on the highway. It's like exit 102, something like that, Black Lake and Trosper Road. I think that's 102. And so I'm getting on to go south. I'm getting on one entrance to the freeway, and on the corner of my eye, I see at the other entrance of the freeway on the other side, there's this family that's, like, sitting there. And I got two kids, and they got suitcases, and they're, like, waving to every car that comes by, like, hoping that someone was going to stop and help them. And it was just, I mean, they had kids, Two and a half and a one and a half year old. And I was just, it was weird. It was luggage. And, but I'm on like the far side of the road and light turned green. What was I supposed to do? So I went. And, but I get back, so I get on the highway. I'm just like, this is weird. Like, I can't get these people out of my mind. Like, I cannot get them out of my mind at all. And so uh, I just feel God just saying, you need to turn this car around. I'm like, why would I turn this car around? What am I going to do? But what else was I going to do? Okay, so I'll turn the car around. And I have like this whole servant thing going through my head. Be careful what you read in the Bible. And, uh, and so I, I turn around, and I park in some fast food restaurant, and I walk up on the side of the road, and they have a sign that, that says Seattle, I think, and they just need help. The, the husband is blind, or almost completely blind. He's got a, uh, a large cast thingy on his leg, uh, and they've got two large suitcases, and, and their kids are running all over, and they're like, by the highway. I'm like, this is just crazy. I'm like, you're going to die. And so we start having this conversation. I'm like, what do, you, what do you need? We're trying to get to Seattle. And I still debate if I should have just given them a ride to Seattle. But I was like, I'm not going to Seattle. I had some other things I was going to do. But I was like, can I help you? And so I said, well, what if I pay for you to go to Seattle? What if I pay for you to go to the bus station and, and all that? So we ended up, we're going to get them all the bus stuff they need. We get them food uh, and, and all of that. And so the guy, though, he stops me, I'm holding his kid and, and dragging luggage down this road. Like, I was just picturing what this looks like. It was just crazy looking. And, uh, and he stops me and he goes, why are you doing this? And he was just blown away. And he goes, are you a Christian or something? <laughs> like, that's what he said. And I said, well, well I am a Christian. And I said, Christ came to serve us, that we could have life. I just want to serve you guys. And if I can love on you and help you and meet needs, that's what I want to do. And it was a cool story. A lot of other things happen. Point is, is when the church lives as the church, the world's going to be in awe. They're not going to know what to do. Um, It's when we serve others, we make the love of God tangible 
the world did not understand, the world does not understand disciples who love and serve as Jesus did. And sadly, you know it and I know it. There's too many churches that don't. And I, I further conversation with the guy, encouraged him to get plugged in with the church. He goes, you know, churches don't like people like us. We have too many needs. I was like, man, it's true. Like, that is so true. It's not true in one sense, practically and functionally. That is so true. If you have a lot of needs, if you just, like, have pains all over, some churches are just like, look, we don't really know what to do. And it's just like, you ever felt like that? Some of you know people like that. Some of you are those people. I didn't know what to, I didn't even know how to say that. All I said was, God loves his bride. His bride messes up a lot, but, I tr- but trust me, he works through the bride. And I didn't know what else to say. But God loves the church. And he's called us as servants to serve. And so that's what we're called, as a family of servants. So I want to encourage us, how do we go forth as servants? I want you to just pray about that. Pray for small groups to rise. Come to the Wednesday night group um, starting in whatever the 12th. Uh, But if the Spirit is alive in us, which I know He is, and as He works through us, in the first century it was said, the church turned the world upside down. You just go read Acts and you know why. And if we go and we love others, making the love of God, if we serve others, making the love of God tangible, the world will be turned upside down. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we love you. And we, uh, we confess. We just confess our sin of pride and sinfulness for not looking out for others, but looking out for only ourselves at times. I pray, expose those areas of pride and sin. Just expose them. Help us to see where, where, where we're blinded to others, where we're blinded to your will. And God, I pray for our church that you give us a heart to serve because you are in us. And I just pray that as you came to serve, that your spirit who works in us would live so freely through us that we would just serve. We would serve and meet the needs in here radically, and we would serve and meet the needs outside, and we would even combine with other churches that we would do whatever it is that we can to meet the needs that you would be glorified. Because you are a good God who came and left heaven, left everything that we could be served. And I just pray, help us. Help us to do that. Live through us, God. Help us to live out our identity in you. In your name, Jesus, amen. So we're going to take communion. And what's amazing is I've never done a communion service where communion didn't go with the text. Like, never. It's just funny the way everything comes back to the cross. <laughs> it's like God planned it that way or something. Um, we take, so I'll go ahead and ask the, uh, the men to come forward. We're going to help pass out the elements. When we come to communion, what we do is we celebrate.